You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. On today's show, we are discussing how to navigate a panic disorder diagnosis with our guest, Dr. Jean Retief. Dr. Retief speaks candidly to us about her diagnosis, the symptoms she experiences, and the difficult path she had to take to get this diagnosis and finally begin working on a treatment plan to help her cope. When Dr. Retief turned 35, she experienced great change, contemplation, confusion, frustration, and joy. The career that she had invested so much of her energy in no longer fulfilled or inspired her. After a lifelong struggle with anxiety, she was also diagnosed with a panic disorder. The symptoms were wreaking havoc on her life. Facing a health and soul crisis, she had to make difficult decisions about her life's path. She integrated her human rights background into Figgy, a lifestyle brand and skincare company, which allowed her to seek serenity and still experience the adrenaline rush of creating something new. Dr. Retief is very candid about her diagnosis, the path that it um, that it led her down, uh, how long she struggled with trying to come to terms with this diagnosis. So many things we talk about, panic disorder versus panic attack, navigating a mental health disorder, treatment options. It's an inspiring, um, inspiring show about uh, endurance and, uh, you know, the, the, the strength of the human soul. So I hope you stay tuned with us. We will be back in, in just a few minutes to speak with Dr. Retief. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today's show has been recorded, so no opportunity to call in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Jean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. You know what? First blush, uh, if people went to your site and researched you, they would think our show is going to be on skincare. Um, <laughs> but that really is, that's a byproduct of your journey into the industry and the focus that you bring to the table is uh, on mental health panic disorder is is something that is so pertinent prevalent 
and important for people to talk about. Uh, I can't wait to get into the meat and potatoes of the show. But first of all, tell us, you know, about you, your history, how you got to where you are today. Thank you so much for saying that. That uh, means a lot to me to say to hear somebody else say it's important and prevalent and pertinent um i my expertise are actually in international humanitarian and criminal law i have a phd in international humanitarian law and i founded and ran a consultancy mostly working within the african development community for the better part of 15 years but in 2015 my own past <laughs> caught up with me and I was officially after a very long and excruciating medical back and forth diagnosed with panic disorder and um, I severely mismanaged that for quite some time and when we immigrated to Portugal in 2020 it all came crashing down and I was no longer able to bargain or deny or ignore it and I had to make some really difficult decisions and significant changes in my life which um, felt like the worst thing that could possibly happen to me but which led to the birth of Figgy which I now recognize was a, a real blessing in disguise. Now Figgy is your skincare line how does one go from international humanitarian space into creating skincare? Yeah, I mean, I could say that I always loved skincare, which is true. But the 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 thing that really led me to that was when I had to make this decision about what I was going to do. One of the biggest things that contributed to my demotivation and ultimate breaking was the fact that I was working in this industry where I was constantly being curtailed and blocked and bombarded by red tape and politics and diplomacy and what I could have could do and what looked good on somebody's slogan and didn't and my goal was always to make a practical difference in what I did I know how to do that I did that very well but I was very often barred from that because it wasn't always in my hands so when I had to make peace with my diagnosis, I looked back on all of my years in service and recognized that I've worked with so many, many women in the professional industry that feel the way I feel. They, they may not have panic disorder, but they're going through the same challenges. They're facing the same sorts of stress. And if I did this on my own and if I built a community where it's okay not to be okay, where it's okay to come together to have a sacred place once a week, I could do it on my own terms without anybody telling me what their agenda for this year says they can and cannot be involved in or can and cannot do. So that's really what led to the birth of Figgy. And I felt that I wanted to have something tangible that I could give to help make your life better. And if I wanted to do something, it needed to be something that helped me take the stand and recognize my diagnosis, which I had been hiding a lot. Um, and sensitive skin is one of my biggest symptoms of my anxiety disorder. And that's what led to skincare. <laughs> What in fact, you know, you talked about the decision that you had to make. What in fact was 
the question that had to lead you to the decision to completely overhaul your life? This is who I want to be for the rest of my life. <laughs> because, you know, panic disorder, it's so all-encompassing. And when I had immigrated to a new country, it was married with my business not translating as well as my husband's did overseas and it was COVID and humanitarian aid stopped. And so I was dealing with that and the loss of my identity and my reality and constant panic attacks. Uh, it affected my sleep, my eating patterns, my mood, how I interacted with my family, how present I was in my environment. And it really had to come to a point of like, I'm not functioning. I'm I'm not functioning as a human being at all. So is this what I want the rest of my life to look like? How long did it take you to come to this decision? Five years. Five years. <laughs> Five years of struggle. Yes, because when I was first diagnosed in 2015, like my first response was, okay, how do I fix this? And how do I hide this? Because I literally... A lot of my work is mentoring other people that I feel have a lot bigger issues than I do. Um, only later realizing that I was helping people with similar backgrounds to me and thinking that I was in somehow been healing my own hurt. Um, yeah, it was a really difficult time because I was so ashamed of my diagnosis and I remember I told my husband anything can be wrong with me except this we cannot tell people that I have an anxiety issue or an anxiety disorder so I just went back to running 200 kilometers an hour as I usually did and denying that this was happening to me and that caught up with me Many people, including myself, may not know that you can be diagnosed with a panic disorder. Um, what are the criteria of a panic disorder versus panic attacks? There, you know, there are two things that I would that I think are important to say. First of all, is that an anxiety disorder. Many people think that if you say you have an anxiety disorder, you're a person that stresses a lot or you don't know how to handle stress or you react to stress differently than others. And that is actually not true. Stress is a normal body response. We all need stress in our lives. It helps us achieve. It helps us prepare for big meetings and events. Um, anxiety is when stress goes beyond those normal levels. And you're always having that constant undertone of, I call it buzzing, like you're always buzzing, you're always stressed, you're always anxious, you're always thinking about how stressed and anxious you are, you're always finding new things to worry about. And it's so incredibly important to get properly diagnosed, because there are many types of anxiety disorders, and people are afraid to go and talk to their healthcare, mental health care practitioner about this because they're afraid they're going to be diagnosed with something. When in actual fact, the chances are probably higher that they're going to tell you, listen, you're mismanaging the stress in your life. Here's a few lifestyle changes you can make. It doesn't need to be an anxiety issue or disorder. But if you do have that, 
then also by the same token, you need to be diagnosed so you can be properly treated and you can have the proper methods um, of coping with that. And the difference between, you know, I'm not a doctor and there's like, there's a very technical diagnostic tool that the doctors have to work through to make sure that you do in fact have panic disorder and not just generalized anxiety disorder. But how it's been explained to me is that with panic disorder, your behavior starts changing. You change your behavior in order not to have a panic attack again, because you're so scared of having that attack and how that feels. You start doing things and changing your daily life in order to avoid it. So for example, I stopped eating completely for two weeks. I only ate so soup because I had a fear of choking and I thought that if I ate and there was something in my throat, I would choke, I would die. Um, that would lead to a panic attack. Now, sometimes when I have relapses, the first thing I'll stop doing is leaving the house because I'm afraid of not being in my safe space. I'm afraid of too many people around me. I get disorientated by lights and sounds. So it's that behavioral change that you make in order to avoid it happening again. So did you go to a medical doctor uh, for this diagnosis? What is the process? If someone was listening to the show and they identify with certain things that you've said, what was your process to finally come to this diagnosis? It was a brutal process. It really was because it was explained to me that the way that you diagnose this is by a process of elimination. So first they have to test for literally everything to make sure there is no physical disease like did I have a stroke did I have a heart attack is there something wrong with my um, stomach or intestines um, I had to undergo so many poking and prodding and tests and MRIs and which in itself was traumatizing because it would create a panic attack because I have such bad claustrophobia so I had to go through all of those tests. And when everything came back negative, um, I was referred to a psychiatrist and a psychologist who then properly diagnosed me. And I think that's what where kind of the trauma comes in because the night before I saw the psychiatrist, the doctor that had placed me in the hospital to do tests was a surgeon and he came into my hospital room. I was devastated. I was crying. I was having panic attack upon panic attack, thinking I'm dying, not knowing what to do or what's happening to my body. And he opened the curtain and in front of all of the other patients in the ward, he threw a box of pills at me and he said to me, you are stressed and stress is nobody has never helped anybody drink this and see if you feel better. And I was just, devastated I thought that my life was ending that nobody was going to help me that I was going to smother to death while I sleep I had no idea of what an anxiety disorder is what it can do to your body to your mind um so yeah that was a, a real low point for me you know it was only 2015. So it wasn't that long mm -hmm. ago that you went through this five-year process, taking you up to 2020. And when I hear that story, yeah, I have so much hope that we've come so much farther in the mental health space. And then stories like that, just, you know, it's like a, a punch in the stomach where you, you still think 
and it's it's still an underlying um, toe that mental health issues are on the patient and they can fix it. Um, when you finally got your diagnosis, did you feel that this was a huge relief for you? No, I was very angry. Okay. I was so angry and I was so frustrated. I just kept on telling him that like, you don't understand what was happening to my body. I was dying and you're telling me that it's all in my mind because that's how it's translated to me. Um, I didn't believe them. I didn't want to accept the diagnosis when they told me I had to go on medication to try and help me get back to kind of a, a, just like a functioning foundational level. I refused. It was a very hard path for me to try and accept this. Um, I was blessed with with a wonderful psychologist. He was so patient. I mean, there in the beginning, I had to see him every single day. Uh, you know, I couldn't travel, I couldn't work, I couldn't eat, I couldn't leave the house. So he really helped me through a very dark time. And it took a lot of explaining and a lot of having exactly the same almost word for word conversations with him on a daily basis to get me to understand like this is possible. The mind is very strong. The mind doesn't forget you have 20 years of built up trauma that you're trying to release and get rid of in a span of a month it's not gonna work you know like this is your reality now these are the steps that we need to take um it was very difficult for me to accept that what was the turning point to acceptance at some point did your did it make sense to you yes i think during what i call the breaking the year that we immigrated and everything kind of happened at once and I was having these rolling panic attacks again um it's very hard to relapse and go through a panic attack if you think that you're taking the medication and doing all the right steps and you get so guilt-ridden about it and you get so demotivated and it's such a really excruciating process to go through and I had had another attack and my husband came to me one day and he said, listen, let's rethink this. This is who you are. This is how you are wired. I don't love you any less. You are in many ways doing better than you did when you were first diagnosed. So this was just a bad day. Every time you have a relapse, just let's think of it like that. This was a bad day. You went from having 30 bad days to two bad weeks to one bad day a week to one bad day every two months. This was just a bad day. And that was the turning point for me. Like understanding that by recognizing it and dealing with it properly, I am actually making my life so much better for myself and the quality of my life so much better for myself than by denying it and trying to kind of circumvent it. And that release of guilt and shame that that piece of advice brought me went a long way towards helping me get to the other side. As you've told your story uh, to many people, you have your own podcast, of course, you have your own skincare line, uh, you know, directing people at the end of the show, uh, as we will to your website and so forth, 
the first thing you see is not, this is my skincare line. This is what I'm selling. It's your story. And it's the openness of you to tell your story to other people. How much has that helped you? It's helped me and it's hurt me because, um, I mean, prior to this, even just from the professional environment that I was from, I was not on social media at all. It wasn't encouraged. Um, and me personally, I was just a very private, very private person. And many of my traumas, like my childhood sexual abuse trauma was very much ingrained in you don't tell. We don't talk about this. You can never tell. So I had all of these don't talk, don't tell my private life is my private life. So opening up and talking about these things openly is even still many times fear inducing. Mm -hmm. It is very cathartic because I feel less alone and I feel like I can share my story with other people that understand me or hopefully help somebody. But sometimes it's hard for me to strike a good balance between um, how deep I can go and when I need to have an emotional break because obviously I talk a lot about uh, what I've been through um, which is cathartic on the one end but can be re-traumatizing on the other hand so I'm I'm still I'm still kind of wading through those waters and I'm still kind of finding where I need to be placed in order to be balanced in that well, you're an inspiration to many, many, many people out there who are living with this disease, living with this disorder. And, you know, only through voice and, and talking and, you know, getting it out there that people are not alone. Can we really push farther in this mental health space? Everyone, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a few minutes to continue our conversation. You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back to our show, everybody. We are talking with Dr. Jean Retief. Um Jean, I, I think I, I alluded to it and we didn't really dive into it um, in the first segment, but is the diagnosis of a panic disorder or, or the symptoms of a panic disorder just an accumulated or increasing number of panic attacks? Is, it, is there a threshold of panic attacks that get to this panic disorder diagnosis or are they two very different things? So there are many forms of anxiety disorders. You can have another form of an anxiety disorder and still have like an anxiety or a panic attack. The big differentiator for a panic disorder is that change in behavior, like isolating. Like for me, it was to stop eating. Um, but other symptoms of a panic disorder is uh, severe heart palpitations, um, gut intestinal issues, uh, hyperventilation uncontrollable shaking, a fear of 
imminent death, like not a fear. I uh, That's how it's described. But for you going through it, it's a knowledge, the knowledge of imminent death, that you are dying, you will die now, right now. <laughs> and there's no rational way to kind of re-rationalize your brain in, in that minute. Um, and then also a blinding fear of the fact that you're going crazy that you're losing your mind um, and kind of disassociating from your body. How did you go about seeking treatment? Um, well, it the first panic attack I had, I was traveling for a human rights um, uh, event. So I wasn't in an area with good hospitals, doctors. I was, and I did everything normally. I ordered food. I was going to do some work for the rest of the evening. And then I started having these really, really scary symptoms. Like uh, my hands started shaking. My vision started going away. Um, my tongue started feeling thick. My throat started feeling like it was closing. I was having palpitations. So I phoned the reception and I told them that I was having a heart attack and they needed to phone the ambulance but there was no ambulance where I was at. So it ensued in like this race to get me to the hospital. That doctor at the emergency room saw me. They kept me overnight. They referred me to somebody in my hometown. And that's how like the chain of referrals started from one to the next, to the other, to the other, to the other, which eventually led to the psychiatrist. Um, when it comes to you know, the diagnosis part, is there a genetic component? Is that ever brought up? Is that ever mentioned to you? Yes, there is. Um, mostly it's been explained to me that some people are just wired this way, but if you have a genetic predisposition to a mental um, illness, it, it could manifest as such. And I have a very long history of that in my family. But with specifically anxiety disorders, it's also been explained to me that it goes or is very deeply connected to childhood trauma, especially sexual childhood trauma uh, and abuse. And is treatment for this all medicated or medic or medicine, or are you, is there talk, a lot of talk therapy? Do you have to relive these traumas where, you know, for someone who's thinking of going down this path of looking for help, where will it lead them? You would probably first have to see um, or be referred to a, a psychologist who then refers you to a psychiatrist or a psychiatrist referring you to the psychologist. You know, asking about medication, it's it's another kind of traumatizing element for me because so many um, close people, even loved ones, have been so brutal to me about taking medication even though it wasn't like my choice but I had to make a choice between a quality of life and taking this little pull that makes it a lot better so medication is completely up to you and your medical healthcare provider uh, your psychiatrist um, unfortunately the medication they need to put you on is really not a great experience because not everything works for everyone and everything, even if they tell you it doesn't, everything has a side effect. So you feel really horrible for two weeks 
um, as you start going on the medication, then you feel bad when you go off it to go on another medication to try if the first one wasn't working for you. So be prepared for that. And you're going to have to have some kind of talk therapy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy with a psychologist. Maybe you like a more holistic treatment um, with an anxiety coach or somebody certified to deal with anxiety. But that was like my first step was the medication combined with the cognitive behavioral therapy. And as I continued to make um, progress, it progressed into other things. Like now I prefer to see my spiritual mentor because I feel like I've rehashed the trauma so many times. I don't want to keep going back. I now know all of that. I now want to be in a space where I can go forward and what forward looks like to me. But that's also done in consultation with my psychiatrist. So I would ask, listen, I, I really don't think I can do the psychology sessions anymore. Can I please try a different way? Can I do this? Um, and we would agree to it together um, to make sure I'm always in the healthiest space that I can be in. That is probably how it would look like to you. But it's important to understand that it's your choice. It's your body. Um, so have a conversation with your prescribing mental health care provider um, and be open with them about the side effects you're having and what's working for you and what's not working for you. Are you constantly managing triggers? Is this part of this healing process, understanding what to avoid and what to surround yourself with? Yes, a big part of it is lifestyle changes, which sounds really frustrating and boring, <laughs> but it has helped me a lot things like a proper diet i need to eat five meals a day because when i get hungry i get dizzy and shaky and that's a trigger for an attack um i need to sleep well sleep is my number one trigger if i'm tired um i will m almost certainly have an attack within the next week or two um other things i need to do is exercise i need that physical release of stress um, and as you do these things and meditation and mindfulness, you start to recognize your triggers and you know to avoid them. So, for example, bright lights and many different colors and flashing lights, I avoid. That's a trigger for me. Um, I am now able to go into spaces with many people and loud noises, but I need to prepare myself mentally for that. And I... I, I won't be able to stay for long. So for example, I'm not going to go to a live concert. <laughs> that would just be really bad. Um, yeah, those are some of my triggers um, that I know I, I need to take care of. Um, but, you, but everybody's triggers are different. So you have to go through this kind of process of understanding what triggered you, what happened before your attack, what were you doing, what were you thinking, um, what were you doing like two or three days before? And then you can start tracking like, oh, okay, yeah, I haven't been sleeping for a week or I didn't eat well that day or whatever your trigger is, you will start identifying those. And that comes with acceptance. I'm I'm going to guess acceptance the, of the diagnosis and, you know, deciding that you're going to move forward. The thing that, that, that you know, when you talk about the three triggers, exercise, sleep, diet those are the basis of good health mm -hmm. throughout 
are, you know, in the physical and the mental space. And I just, it, it just like you saying that just shows the, there's no disconnect between below the shoulders and above the shoulders. And mental health issues play into physical health issues as physical health issues play into mental health issues. And that's why I think it is just so wonderfully beautiful that you are out there telling your story because the more we can normalize this and understand this and see how the whole body plays together, the more people don't have to suffer as much and they will be more open to look for treatment and not ashamed. So congratulations on doing that. How does your you. skincare line play into your new lifestyle? It has helped me a lot because it helped me in two ways. It helped me to kind of take my place on that podium of raising my hand and say, yes, this is me. This is how I am wired. Um, and to prove that I'm okay with that. Here is something I use on the daily for a symptom of this disorder on the daily. And it brought me a little piece of home because all of the products are made with um, South African grown rooibos tea extracts, which is a beautiful anti-inflammatory, calming and soothing aid with so much scientific proof behind it. So, um, you know, it's something small. That's something I struggled with a lot in the beginning of my journey towards Lifestyle changes and mindfulness is um, starting too big. If you're in that initial stages, you're not going to be able to meditate even for two minutes. You're going to be so jittery and so anxious. And the skincare routine is so minimalist. It's cleansers and moisturizers, which is what your skin needs when it's sensitive to reset the bare basics. It takes like a minute. And that was something that was really important to me in the beginning, committing to small things that take little time that I know I could do and achieve. And from there, it gets more and bigger and better. But I couldn't commit to any big things in the beginning. So something small, basic, and it's really formulated for people with really dry and sensitive skin to help at least your biggest organ feel a little bit better. Well, how, how you know, you've, you've thrown yourself back into an entrepreneurial stage, um, which comes with pressure. How do you manage your panic disorder within this new pressure that you've walked into? I'm still finding my way, I think, because I had to go back to school to do my certification in cosmetic chemistry because I wanted to understand what I was doing and how I was formulating these products and that they would really work. And so it was that and like this pressure of building this new business and the entrepreneurial space. And, um, you know, it is unfortunately a little bit of trial and error. And again, that's where acceptance comes in. This is how I'm wired. Sometimes things are going to go awry, but I can always get back on the path. So I had a relapse two months ago, uh, which was pretty severe and debilitating. And it was because I wasn't managing this well, because I wasn't, I, I wasn't understanding the balance between what I was doing trying to launch this new company and how I need to balance that with my mental health. Um, so I had to take a step back, recalibrate, uh, try not to judge and just know that it's okay. Tomorrow is a new day and I can try again. Um, 
and that 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 has helped me get to where I am today. So uh, if you talk to me in a year, I would probably maybe be able to say, oh, okay, I did this and this worked for me. But for now, I'm very much still kind of on that journey trying to to find my way. I think we're all on a journey. I don't think there's any end line to it. So <laughs> no, I think we all just have to persevere. Um, when it comes to relapsing, and you're being brutally honest about this, it, does it look the same as it did a year or two ago? No, because of that kind of mind shift I made. Mm -hmm. This is not the end of the world. You're not losing everything that you've built. It was just a bad day, one. And two, I now have the toolkit to recognize how I can prevent this. Um, how First of all, how I can manage this better next time and perhaps prevent it from happening again. But also accepting, like I said, this is how I'm wired and I probably will at some point relapse again is a possibility and that's okay. Have you been able to let go of the guilt? Associated with the diagnosis? Yeah. Yes. That has been a big relief to me to not be feeling that guilty about it anymore. Um, it has been a big step towards healing. And your your podcast, again, you, you go to your podcast. It's not about skincare. You really are devoting a significant amount of time in getting the word out. Um, tell us about how your podcast came to be. Well, it really was because of what I was saying. I'm, I wasn't good at sharing my personal life. I'm a very private person. And, you know, with podcasts, it's, especially when you're doing um, a single podcast where it's just you, it in actual fact is only just you alone in a room with a microphone. So it feels a little easier to share your story because it almost feels like nobody's listening and like you're just kind of sharing your truth with the four walls. Mm -hmm. um, so it was an easier way for me to get into that phase of kind of sharing my truth and and there are many difficult things about my life that I talk about and that I share and um that are still sometimes quite upsetting and embarrassing for me and if I do it through this medium it feels um more accessible <laughs> to me uh than to kind of be standing on a podium talking about it or being like on a video interview or something it just yeah. feels more personal. Well, I mean, you are an inspiration for so many people out there. Where do you think life will take you in the next five to 10 years? I really hope that it will take me to a place where Figgy Skincare um, has grown to such a point where my little girl can be excited and invested in, in doing this with mommy uh, and that she can be proud of me despite the fact that uh, this is how I am wired. And I also hope that it will lead me to a place where I can build a community of, in quotes, sponsors for people that have been going through the anxiety journey for quite some time. Because if you're there and you're on the medication and you're through the journey, there's nobody to really help you when you relapse, you know, just to have a running buddy to say, oh, gosh, okay, I relapsed. Can you help me out? Can you talk to me for a couple of days? You know how I feel. You know what I'm going through. There's nothing like that really for us 
Um, and you can't always expect your personal support system to 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 do that for you because everybody has stress and tension and life's worries and troubles. So I really hope I can build a community like that. Um, well, I hope you are successful in your venture. I really do. Uh, if people wanted to reach out to you, hear your podcast, you know, investigate your skin, Caroline, find out about your story. Where would they look to? They can go to Figgy Life, F-I-G-G-I Life.com for the podcast and the blog and the story and FiggyBeauty.com for the skincare. And your podcast is within your website. Yes, the podcast is My Figgy Life and you can find it anywhere you find your podcasts. Wonderful. Jean, thank you so much for uh, coming to the Health Hub, for sharing your story and for being an inspiration for, you know, all of our listeners. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on the Health Hub. been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.